evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight we're going to speak about uh, one of the first uh, close encounters that uh, has been documented. Last week we did a, a session which uh, included uh, Steven Spielberg and his uh, discussion about his uh, film, The Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and I thought it would be appropriate this week to uh, to go into one of the first uh, documented cases of a close encounter of the third kind. Nonfiction. Nonfiction. This particular case is uh, well known in the uh, field. And uh, we recall uh, the attention that it got when it first came out and uh, it became a film, a TV uh, show, a TV uh, movie rather starring Estelle Parsons and uh, James Earl Jones, two pretty famous uh, actors. And uh, they did a great job in their uh, role um, of the uh, incident that they incurred on their way home from a vacation in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. And uh, this case became a focal point for the... uh, the next couple of decades because these these abduction cases started to uh, recur more frequently and when the uh, the publicity on this case first uh, hit the public um, it uh, started off in a, a magazine article uh, the Saturday Evening Post and the story uh, stems from uh, 1961, which is quite a ways back there. And uh, the couple were local people in the town. And uh, the husband was a, a postal worker and the wife was a social worker. So they uh, they had some uh, community uh, involvement. I, I guess you would say they were kind of upstanding People. Yeah, you know when you think of a post office, a guy he's wearing a tie all the time, and yeah, I mean you know, back in standing citizens basically back in the fifties and the sixties, things were so different, you know, for the services that uh, the country had uh, from postal uh, deliveries to uh, milkmen and uh, <laughs> people that delivered coal, you know, on a daily basis. But um, this couple was on their way home, and they experienced. Uh, a UFO sighting, and uh, it became uh, evident to them that, um, according to the records that are uh, been written on this uh, case, um, they felt uh, that they were going to be picked up. And uh, in the dramatic uh, recreation of the uh, the story uh, done on uh, the theatrical. Uh, theme by uh, James Earl Jones and uh, Stell Parsons, they conveyed a a definite uh, fear of the uh, abduction that they were going to have. And uh, when they began to have uh, dreams, nightmares, I guess they would call them, they uh, started to have... um, uh, people look at their uh, story, and they wound up being uh, analyzed uh, by a doctor, Benjamin Simon, back in the uh, the sixties, uh, sixty three and sixty four, I believe. They uh, began their uh, 
their hypnosis sessions. And uh, when they were put under regressive hypnosis to tell their, uh, their unbelievable story, they were uh, separated and they recorded their uh, stories independently and they didn't let each, each other listen to the tapes. So that's one good thing that came out in the beginning. Kind of, I guess, standard investigation technique when you think about it, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a good way to separate people from, uh, you know, colluding with the, each other to make a, a sensational story sound believable. But um, what was really interesting in their, uh, their experience is, to me, <clears throat> the star map that was uh, brought up the, uh, I'd have to uh, recommend you to pick up the book, the Barney and Betty Hill story, to get the full explanation of how this particular star map is relevant to the uh, reality of their experience. Because they uh, were shown something that um, was not known until many years later. And uh, Betty Hill was not a, a, any amateur astronomer and she didn't know anything about these uh, star systems that were mentioned aboard this craft that these space creatures came from. But the, uh, the evidence in the uh, stories on, on their case indicate that uh, this was a double star system known as Zeta-1 and Zeta-2 Repticuli. And uh, many books have been written about the... Uh, the, uh, I would just say the existence, uh, the existence of this map and the validity of it, uh, the amateur astronomers that took this map and tried to uh, make a model of the, uh, the planets and uh, different things that were in this uh, map that she was able to uh, reproduce under hypnosis. It's, it's a remarkable uh, uh, thing that happened during this uh, case. But uh, trying to explain how the astronomer figured out that these, uh, these planets that were uh, hanging from a, a model that she had set up in, a, in a, some large, I guess, large place where she was able to, to make a model of this uh, planetary alignment, it, it showed that this uh, system was being viewed from the the space traveler's uh, point of view, not from the point of view from Earth looking at their uh, star system. And, and uh, this occurred when she turned the model system around and looked at it from a different direction, and everything seemed to line up. And uh, six or seven or eight years later, this... Uh, star system, which was very hard to see without a, a telescope, you know, was uh, authenticated to exist. The Zeta-1, Zeta-2 uh, repticulized star system does exist. And uh, that, to me, is, is quite astounding to be uh, found out in 1961. Yeah, and now, you mentioned to me about um, Pease Air Force Base. Like, mm -hmm. she they 
they she reached out on several occasions to I think the armed services and was mm-hmm. really trying to tell the story and report it mm-hmm. to the Air Force, I believe. Well, Project Blue Book was in existence at the time, so they were definitely interested in this uh, story. Uh, it, it gave, apparently it gave them a, a, a lot of headache <laughs> <laughs> because this was not something that they uh, were expecting. In the SOM manual, which I have mentioned in previous episodes, the manual, which was put together as a consequence of the Majestic 12 operation, shows that in 1952-54, these objects had not made themselves known as far as coming down and... uh, that could change that was mentioned in that paragraph on the in the SOM power in the SOM manual, which indicated that up until the the Bonnie and Betty Hill abduction, um these these creatures that were mentioned in the Bonnie and Betty Hill case were not known to be uh existence uh because the the Roswell story never mentioned creatures. The creatures were only mentioned in the Eisenhower briefing document and the, uh, the awareness of that there were actual creatures on this craft were kept from the American public. And uh, as you look back into the, uh, the initial crash in Roswell, the, uh, the Pentagon stopped it from being promoted. It was getting, uh, it was getting uh, calls from all over Europe. People were calling into New Mexico and wanting to know what this was all about. So they didn't want this to be a, a big issue. So they had to stop talking about it and create a, a cover story, and it worked. And uh, they never thought that these uh, sightings would continue although they did, and uh, the more they did uh, continue, they had to create a uh, operational uh, mechanism for uh, debunking these uh, sightings. And uh, they didn't expect to deal with abductions. When Project Sign was formed in 1947, there were no abductions. So they, they were only having to discredit sightings. Uh, compared to having to deal with uh, trying to discredit abductions, they would have to deal with another program, which they did. And what they did is they had people fake abduction stories. Uh, There was a famous one uh, back in the 50s uh, called, his name was George Ademsky. And he... uh, said he used to communicate with the aliens and talk to them, and he traveled to Venus, and, you know, he made all these outrageous uh, claims. And when you contrast it to the Bonnie and Bill story, it doesn't sound right. It sounds so opposite of their experience. But all you have to do is add a couple of more crazy stories, (laughs) and then the... It's a fine line when you get out there in the edge of what sounds crazy. Yeah, and this, and and then add more craziness to it because then what happens is that it becomes harder and harder to to figure out which one mm-hmm. is really the the truth. At the same time, 
there may have, there may have been other people that this was happening to that were afraid to bring to this out. Yeah. They, they so want when to be they came out and said it, then, you know, they felt more, you know, we see that happen sometimes, right? Like, <laughs> Oh yeah. The, the critics were out on their, uh, there, I mean, they were trying to destroy this couple, and they were interviewed on many, many TV shows, from Larry King to, you know, yeah, well, any of the shows that were popular in the in the sixties. We have a piece here that we're going to let you listen to, which is includes some of her own words, her own words, in Betty Hill's own words, uh, describing her her incident. This is from the. Um, Bud Hopkins abduction documentary. Mm -hmm. I think it first aired on PBS. In the early morning hours of September 19, 1961, Betty and Barney Hill were traveling a deserted New Hampshire highway when an event occurred that would forever change the course of their lives. It was a beautiful night. The moon was very bright. And we're calm and relaxed and the radio was playing. When I saw the strange light in the sky, it came out over the highway and stopped directly in front of us. What Betty thought she saw was a flying saucer. And at this point, Barney got out with the binoculars in an attempt to identify the craft. And as he looked up, he could see a row of men standing in the window, looking down at him. The craft began to descend. And he had the feeling they were trying to abduct him. At first, Betty and Barney Hill recalled only shadowy fragments of what happened that night. But much later, under hypnosis, their memories came into sharper focus. These tapes are recorded during hypnosis with the late Barney Hill. According to the Hill's extraordinary tale, they were forced aboard a flying saucer by creatures from outer space. As far as we know, we are probably, at least in modern day life, the first ones to have face-to-face -face contact with astronauts from another solar system. Betty and Barney Hill may have been the first, but are certainly not the last, to report an alien abduction. Since that night on a lonely highway 30 years ago, thousands have come forward charging that they too are the victims of UFO kidnapping. And a recent poll suggests that millions of Americans believe them, including author Bud Hopkins. How do you like that with her, in her own words? Well... What did you call them? Astronauts from another planet or another solar system? Mm-hmm. Wait, she said astronauts from another solar system. I, think. I believe so, yeah. Uh, and this is the person that drew or made a depiction of the this alternate solar system well, rumored to it, be. In the details of the book and, and the, the, the examination that her and her husband uh, went through, which I haven't even gotten into that yet, but uh, she apparently had what I would consider an amniocentesis. How many years before this uh, technique was utilized by the uh, Medical Association? <laughs> um, she was um, 
explaining during uh, her hip- hypnosis uh, session that uh, some type of needle was inserted into her navel mm-hmm. and it caused her uh, discomfort, no, uh, no uh, prolonged pain, just discomfort. And um, her husband was subjected to a, uh, uh, a, an examination which uh, gave these creatures a curiosity about why his, um, his teeth were um, removable. They didn't understand. They, didn't, they were apparently puzzled by this, which I found kind of odd, you know. But uh, nevertheless, this is something that was brought up. And um, yeah, he also drew depictions of the ship, um, which is, I'd say it looks kind of like a vanilla wafer, (laughs) kind of Mm -hmm. that shape Mm -hmm. or a really flat hamburger. (laughs) Well done. Or a disc, right? I mean, the usual symmetrical shape, I guess. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the f- the family of uh, the, the Hills had a uh, a niece, Betty Hills' niece. Uh, her name was Kathleen Marden, and and she took over uh, the estate of the Hills after she passed away. And Stanton Friedman got involved with Kathleen Marden, and they uh, they did a book on the the Betty and Bonnie story, mm-hmm. and they call it Captured. It's an excellent book because it, it goes into greater detail of uh, the couple's experience and uh, further things that Stanton had come across in the years since he first got involved with the uh, subject itself. And so there's mentions in this book, Captured, about the um, – people in majestic 12 too which is interesting um i find that the uh the section that i found in the book that uh, talks about dr bush is uh amazing because it brings into brings into Vandivar, focus right? dr van van devar dr van yes very dr. special v, who we know is at the top of the list he he's such an important MJ-12 dude doctor. I mean, there's not many people that had a position like him. And uh, I'll give you a little bit of his uh, background, which I gave you a little bit in a previous um, episode, but this one is a little more detailed. And it just goes to show you the uh, the deep involvement people had in the government that, that you never knew about. But uh, their patriotism was, was very strong. And... Uh, but something so significant as being uh, under observation by an alien race and not know the, the intentions of the visit, it ha- would have to be classified top secret. And that's just the way the government seems to work. When they don't know something, they, they go quiet. And uh, that's what they had did. They did with this uh, crash in Roswell because, like I had mentioned in previous episodes, they only had sightings at this point uh, until the crash in New Mexico. And uh, I'll read you Dr. Bush's background a little bit. He had been a professor and then a dean and then vice president of MIT before he entered 
an interesting career in the U.S. government. All of that, before he entered the government, he was the president of MIT. He is said to have been the most influential researcher in America. He built the most powerful computers in the 1930s and was Roosevelt's chief advisor on military research and a member of the War Council from 1939 to 1941. He served as chairman of the National Advisory Committee on Aeronautics, which became NASA in 1958. He headed the Office of Scientific Research and Development from 1942 to 1948, which was was responsible for the development of the proximity fuse, radar, sonar, and many dozens of other devices that helped win the war. In the summer of 1940, he took control of America's secret development of the atomic bomb while he held down a job as chairman at Carnegie, a leading scientific institution whose chief traditionally advised, who, who chiefly, wait, let me, let me re, <laughs> rephrase that, whose chief traditionally advised the government on technical matters. He was a member of a top-secret elite group of six who set policy, and who set policy, including the president, vice president, the secretary of war, and army chief of staff, General Leslie Groves, the man who monitored and oversaw the technical progress towards the bomb. Hmm. When he ran into a snag because of funding issues, Roosevelt and his budget director solved it by creating the first black budget in the nation's history. He brought physics, engineering, and the military together for the technical innovation that he believed was the most important factor in national security and was his leadership that ultimately helped to win the war. And uh, that's a pretty impressive uh, background on a man. (laughs) Hmm. Well, he was obviously quite a a genius, uh, you know, intelligent highly intelligent guy, but also when you look at the other historical facts around that time, that was when we were also being warned about the military industrial complex coming into existence. Yeah, because of this wonderful technology that was picked up in New Mexico. (laughs) The, The race to figure out what this stuff was, was to be integrated into our military, uh, equipment as soon as possible and one of the first uh, devices that uh, seems to have come from that operation of back engineering is the transistor which uh, was uh, patented in 1947 just a few months after roswell interesting the the transistor i would say did revolutionize uh, quite a few things in our uh, technology he, kind of, he made like yeah they kind of consider him the f- making the first computer or the predecessor to the computer mm-hmm. but yeah. did he also make the first you know <laughs> yeah. uh, large-scale governmental purchase of um, military uh, weaponry <laughs> well they were in charge of developing uh, you know a, a safety program so that they can get uh, more funding for, for better weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, since the atomic bomb was uh, and successful. It's been going ever since. <laughs> yeah, and they've been making bigger bombs and bigger, 
dangerous things ever since. Is right into the trillions now. Mil- sure not is. millions anymore. <clears throat> the uh, the what do you call it? the revolution that had taken place in the uh, apprehension of this uh, technology cannot be uh, underestimated. To uh, it can be it can, it can't be how would you say taken for granted that how important it was to back engineer this this stuff that was picked up in the desert and brought back to the 509th in 1947. I mean, the government changed everything that they did because of this. <clears throat> yep. I mean, the Constitution even had to be uh, amended. It's on the same level as, as 1947 Roswell, right? Well, that, that where some, it's like some truth got out and they and they didn't know what to do. Yeah, and here's another interesting thing that I, I sort of uh, came to the conclusion. During my readings of uh, the Bonnie and Betty Hill story, the the mention of these creatures, okay, the size of them and what they apparently looked like was really not known except in the Eisenhower briefing document and the SOM manual which goes into a description of these creatures and uh that's that's pretty interesting that the uh, comparison of the, those two facts that that the Benny the Barney and Betty Hill case and the mention of those creatures and the size and the, and the approximate uh, uh features that they had were very similar to the ones that are explained in the SOM manual. So that sort of confirms that the Bonnie and Betty Hill abduction case is probably true. Well, she was telling everybody about it. I mean, she 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 uh, she went to the library like ten days after the alleged abduction, mm-hmm. and she got a book about UFOs. And guess who it was by Major Kehoe? And then she wrote a letter to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she was. She had pretty high connection. I mean, you know, the the country was the world was a lot smaller back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, the really the intriguing thing about this whole story is what you said about the the amateur astronomer. It was a, it was a girl actually, mm-hmm. um, Marjorie Fish, mm-hmm. and she sent. She, I think, spent a couple of years trying to match what that what star system it could be that Betty Hill had drawn, mm-hmm. and you know where else could there be life? What you know, what other systems had a sun-like entity that could um, sustain life? And she came up with the yeah the the Zeta Reticuli. She sent her um, uh, findings to uh, Webb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The web oh, of the, the web telescope. That's right, <laughs> and he agreed with her conclusions. Hmm. Wow, that's at a pretty high level. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I wouldn't be surprised if the new telescopes that we have have been focused on this uh, location. <laughs> yeah, um, <clears throat> without think, uh, advertising it too too publicly. Because the, the the one thing that the, the government wouldn't want to do is to say that the the new telescope that, that that's been enacted now is now facing Zeta Repticuli to verify Bonnie and Betty Hill's case. 
Imagine if that ever hit the newspaper. <laughs> I mean, it's not proof. It's just more speculation. Well, it's more <laughs> uh, circumstantial evidence. Circumstantial points. evidence. It seems to encircle this thing. And uh, I think that uh, for me, looking back in history at all this stuff, and you're the one that's enlightened me on most of this, but <laughs> it seems like this is, they were widely believed mm-hmm. by the public. Mm-hmm. Barney and Betty. They were just they, their circle of friends who were, have been interviewed mm-hmm. have all supported the reality of what they represented. You know, this they were was, very low key people. Mm-hmm. They were not outlandish. You know, uh, people that uh, uh, had any. Uh, you know, I don't even think they had children, uh, from what I recall. So I don't recall any uh, any mention of that. But just uh, the niece. <laughs> just the knees. You might be right. Well, I have to, I have to verify that. But uh, they were an interracial couple, which um, I would think at the time of being the late '60s that that would be even more reason not to come out in the public mm-hmm. and say, you know, just because I'm sure that they were getting, you know, they were suffer, you know, encountering racial comments or mm-hmm. quips from people. Yeah. I mean, um, at that time um but you know still yet they stood up and they they told their story over and over and over and consistently yeah they were they were very uh, low-key family and uh like i said in, in the community and she was a social worker and he was a postal uh, employee and uh that's uh you know that's about the sum of it i mean uh they weren't out to uh to make millions and to, to become uh, world famous for, for being abducted by a, an alien encounter on a way home from a vacation. But what a, what a, what a thing to, to have hanging on your, uh, your bed sheets, you know? So they, they at least, uh, at least they, they came across as believable and they, they never changed their story. Uh, it, it was pretty consistent. And uh, uh, for people that are in the field to recognize this this particular story as one of the 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 real cases that uh, stand out amongst all the other cases, because there are certain cases in the UFO uh, records that don't add up, and uh, there are cases that just are so outlandish that. <laughs> They, you know, you, you expect to read about it in the National Enquirer. That's how mm-hmm. some of the cases are. Uh, one of the f- most famous ones that uh, I, I'm talking about that is so ridiculous that I, I just I laugh when I when I when I explain it to. But it's the Villa Belias case in South uh, South America, where the, where this guy allegedly had a relationship with the, this female occupant on this craft, and she points to the sky and she points to her stomach as if to say, you know, you're going to be giving birth. I'm going to be giving birth to a star child, you know, and, and the ship blasts off, you know, and that case has been, you know, critically uh, ridiculed. And, uh, you know, it just makes the whole subject harder to comprehend because of cases that are uh, too abnormal, you know, the, the the whole story itself is is weird enough, 
without yeah. adding the the whole abduction case uh, to the to, to the uh, scenario, it makes it uh, more difficult. And then when you get into the whole other the deeper aspects of these these creatures having the ability to come in and out of walls and you know interact with telepathy, uh, you know uh, you, you start to uh, say, wait a second here, am I am I going crazy? Is this all imaginary or can this all be possible? Let me backtrack a little bit and, and get my train of thought. <laughs> Otherwise, you start to go bananas, you know, uh, with this uh, subject. It's, it's like I say all the time, it's difficult enough to explain that, that the government could keep this subject from being taken serious. But then when you read all the work that they put into uh, destroying the uh, the good evidence that has come in over the years from pilots to uh, people that have uh, stuck out their uh, their neck to explain what happened to them. And, uh, you know, military people that have leaked information that, that shows that there's a, a cover-up going on, very large cover-up, and uh, works pretty well. I uh, have been amazed at the... Uh, information that's available is still uh, out there yeah of course they've been discredited and people you know people tried to explain away you know uh. it's funny though when you say you go to the bookstore today you go to barnes and noble and you want to say i want to see a book on uh, ufos do you have any could you d direct me to the uh, position where they are and uh, w what they'll show you is a, a bookshelf with maybe three books on UFOs, and it's in the uh, occult section of paranormal, along with uh, witch, witch's brew and witchcraft. And uh, from 20 years ago, when I used to go to the bookstores, I used to go to Brentano's, I used to go to all the bookstores that I could find to get uh, to get books on this subject. And they used to have dozens and dozens of books on the subject. And I wonder where all those books went. I wonder. I collected most of them because I wanted to study what was out there. And I figured if I, I get enough background information, I'll, I'll figure something out. And uh, what I did figure out is that uh, there's a slick cover-up going on. You can't even get these books that I have on, on my collection list. Well, it's just like, I wouldn't be surprised if the the men in black went out and bought all the uh, publishing rights for these books and took them out of circulation. <laughs> Something. I mean, I mean we well, we've I think we've covered we've seen episodes of well, they did that. They bought they tried to buy up the newspapers right after Roswell. Mm -hmm. And we got censorship <laughs> going on right now in, in all these the different uh Yeah, we got two video clips. Where's the rest? Mhm. Mm Louis Louis uh Alexandro? He knows. No, he sure does. He knows that there's more. <laughs> and he's been harassed about it, too. His superiors don't want him to digging this stuff out and bringing it to the attention of the public. It just creates more answers for them to give to the public, and they don't want to do that. Obviously not. not you know. Yeah, the, why talk about something that you don't want no one to hear about, so... I'm always amazed at how uh, people are dumbfounded when I when I tell them 
uh, that you know you you would be surprised at the information that's out there and um the best places to start, I say, in trying to comprehend it is back with this leaked document, which verifies in a, in a summarized fashion everything that has been going on from the time that the pickup of this craft occurred until the, until the time they had to prepare a briefing paper for Eisenhower to explain what was going on in in this uh, operation to back engineer this material and uh, study it in various locations and uh, that's exactly what the SOM demonstrates that these um, these parts of this craft and the uh, and the the beings themselves were brought to different labs for uh, examination and this knowledge was not known to the general public. Uh, I mean, they were dealing with a weather balloon story that they, they were uh, trying to uh, believe, you know, despite the fact that they uh, they didn't believe it. They they were, you know, what do we believe? Are we, we going to believe the military or are we going to believe what we saw? You know, and uh, that's the, uh, the trouble of conspiracy. It, it, it creates a doubt in the minds of people when you when you put this uh, conspiracy oh it's a conspiracy uh, you're 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 imagining this it's it's not what you think it's just a, mis- a misinterpretation of a natural event in my personal opinion that mr vanivar bush dr vanivar dr mm-hmm. bush i he, i think he's related to the baked bean company maybe he could be, yeah. The, the bush beans were really a popular uh, well, beans. Any, at any rate, uh, I, I don't know. Something tells me the light bulb went off in his head about national security mm-hmm. and the truth and money. Well, <laughs> last week we spoke about the... Uh, That's my triangle for you. We, spoke, we spoke about the... Uh, special members of the Majestic 12 and the different people that were on it. And we also mentioned that the, uh, the USS Missouri, which, uh, partook, uh, was, which partook in the uh, surrender, the Japanese, the captain of that ship was the same person that's listed on the Majestic 12 document. And the second and third man on that list is also on the deck of the uh, USS Missouri. Uh, interesting that those individuals from the Manhattan Project are on the Majestic 12 panel. And uh, the atomic bomb, which was a national security issue, was directly connected to the issue of national security in regard to these craft that have been spotted over nuclear test sites and nuclear uh, installations all across the world. And this information became more obvious as years went by, and we kept track of these uh, incidences where these sightings were being made. So something is, is connecting the, the nuclear issue with the UFO situation. 
national security is the common thread, which yeah. is where the military comes in. Yeah. And um, that's where you get these ultra top secret clearances. Yeah. I mean, it's almost uh, uh, like a, it's like a movie when you think about it, because it's so James Bondish, you know, mm-hmm. that it's uh, it's, uh, it's all secrecy and this and that and the men in black and the, What's it all about? Is there is there any truth to it? And, and the more you look at it, there's yeah. there's they play they play games with the certain with, amount of people seeing this believing right, and unfortunately the TV is the main way they see things. Well, yeah, I, I went into other episodes yeah. where I spoke about these professional skeptics, <laughs> the professional skeptics, you know, and uh, there were many. They placed them in areas where they were publishers for magazines like uh, Philip Class was the head of aviation and space magazine. And James Oberg was the uh, editor in Omni magazine. And he used to always take a UFO story and, and turn it into a weather balloon mm-hmm. story, you know, and these people were st- placed. You had fewer media back then. Now it's got to be even harder for them to cover everything. Every crazy little podcast like ours where the truth can get out. I mean, we're reporting on stuff that's already written out. Yeah. Already reported. So. But well, it's hard to contain it all now <laughs> because of the computers. But yeah, I, exactly. I wouldn't be surprised if they can if they can tap into people like uh, Tucker Carlson. Well, uh, the national security can, can do it can do well, anything. Yeah. Well, you're right about that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, That's yeah. what the cloud is all about. I mean, in a way, I'm, I'm glad we're not, you know, we're not quite as big as Tucker yet. Yes, uh, no. But I do want to speak to Tucker, though. <laughs> <laughs> the great guy, obviously a patriot. But, you know, it's, um, the, there is a lot of disinformation. It's a two-edged sword because you've got elements of the truth that can always get out because there's such a fractured media and everyone has a say and what's news and what's not news at the same time. And, and all there's even more disinformation because someone could just be sitting at one computer acting like they're an expert and putting out all this social media stuff that influences people. Yeah. And then, and then you say to yourself, well, does everything have to be open to the public? Does everything have to be known? Is there a certain it's, level of secrecy right. that, that should be allowed uh, for yeah, you know, for national security purposes. Well, uh, you know, when once you have wars that last twenty years, uh, got to ask that question mm-hmm. <laughs> of where's the in the balance of that? How many? How much is it being manipulated? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were kept in the dark. Of, I mean, things when things don't make sense, we got to call it out. That's, yeah, that's well, <laughs> well, you do have the the use of spies. And, and, their, and their function is to find out what what hasn't been exposed, and they they uh, they use different methods to find out uh, information that that's not conventional. You know, everybody thinks, oh, when you, when a person is a spy, that they're looking at your notepad or they're looking at your uh, your computer uh, information. No, they could be looking at the relationships you have with people and who you contact. Uh, and and who do you associate with? Uh, this gives uh, another way to uh, spy on a person. You don't have to always. Yeah, look but at the same time, my mama told me, you know, show me who you're with, and I'll show you who you are. That's right. <laughs> show me your friends, and I'll show you who you are. And we do have a lot of friends. We appreciate all you guys for hanging with us. 
Yes, we, we appreciate the interest in the subject, and we highly recommend questions because uh, I need I need to answer any doubts that people have that this subject is, is truthful. You can send those to UFOs Top Secret at protonmail.com, UFOs Top Secret at protonmail.com, or any other inquiries. Mm-hmm. And um, we look forward to you uh, seeing you next week. Yeah, we'll have our own little kind of semi close encounter. We're not going to go all the way there, but this was kind of part two of the close encounter uh, segments. <laughs> Yeah, next week we'd like to maybe talk a little bit about the Travis Walton case, which is another very controversial case, but it also has a lot of eyewitnesses. So, yes, we'll be back next week, guys, Tuesdays at 6.30, usually by 8 p.m. We're uploaded into all formats. Come back and see us again. We'll be back next week with more UFO-type stuff with Bob Bria. And keep your eyes open. And don't forget to look up.